feel like everywhere you go, you hear people talking about crypto. Crypto is the new buzzword that people like to get into discussions about. I feel like it's on commercials. We just saw recently during the Super Bowl, there was a cryptocurrency right. commercial. What about that other commercial? The guy that keeps saying, I'm a millionaire. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm a millionaire. <laughs> no, because it's so volatile, right? Right. So I feel like it's a perfect opportunity to really get into what it's all about and try to really simplify it so people can understand it better. And I think when starting a discussion about crypto, it's important to just briefly mention what is often referred to as Web 1, Web 2, and Web 3. Yeah, I agree, because it really is an evolution. The earliest internet, or what's called Web 1, uh, those are back from my day. That's what <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> as the internet. It's kind of like the 1990s. The yeah, yes, into the 2000s. <laughs> so there was no, there was less dial-up in the 2000s for some of us. You really could just access information on Web 1. It's kind of like a read-only. You couldn't really interact with it. It's just simple code, text, and images. Yeah. And Web 2 is more of a participatory web and a social web. Now people read and write. Like web 2, we interact and collaborate with each other through social media. It's basically what we know as the, quote, internet today. User-generated content in a virtual community like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. E-commerce sites with customer reviews. People share views and opinions. People have a way to earn money on Web 2 from teaching, for example, like, YouTube. Sure. This all seems cool, except for the issue of, of course, privacy, which we have talked about before. And your actions are tracked and data is being shared. So Web2 is also centralized, meaning it's controlled by big tech companies, for example, Google and Amazon. Yeah, definitely Google, Amazon and Facebook. And that's where Web3 is really that evolution from the previous webs. It's more interactive, it's more intelligent, but it also has blockchain-based technology that allows uh, decentralization of interconnected networks where you own part of the network. You're not just using the network or contributing to it like we were in Web 2. Um, it also allows users to, like we said, Web 1 was kind of a read-only, Web 2 was read and write, Web 3 is read, write, and own is kind of the way we like to describe it. So you're really moving the power from those corporations back to the individuals that are actually, in many cases, contributing all that content. The term Web3 actually gained a lot of interest from crypto enthusiasts oh. and investments from high-profile tech companies, mainly because users can exchange currency without a bank or government being involved. The best way to think about it is this big umbrella in which all these other entities come under, like crypto, NFTs, and what's also a buzzword, which is the metaverse. Metaverse. Metaverse is basically like a virtual universe created completely on the web. I think of that movie that we saw with uh, Ryan Reynolds, Free Guy. Oh, I like love that like, movie. I think it's important to note that Web3 has not yet been implemented. It only runs on a cryptocurrency token-based system. So Max, can you give a brief background on crypto? When talking about cryptocurrencies, there's a few big names that definitely come to mind. Uh, Bitcoin, created in 2009 by the mysterious Satoshi Nakamoto. 
He is, well, he's so mysterious, right? Because no one really has ever been able to identify him truthfully. Like no one really knows who he is. If yeah. he's a he, maybe it's a she. It may not even be a real person. The concept of the cryptocurrency is actually uh, currency secured without, like we said, any involvement from a central authority, unlike a government-issued currency that we use, like the U.S. dollar, for example. Uh, cryptocurrency is actually just created by computer code. It's basically a database, but different from a central ledger because it's decentralized. It's peer-operated with no one supervising. Like in the U.S., for the U.S. dollar, we have the Federal yeah. Reserve, for example. Uh, and they're the ones that call the shots and set the rules. Here, there's no entity actually doing it. Ethereum is the second biggest cryptocurrency after Bitcoin. Uh, Ethereum was actually launched in 2015, and it's the largest decentralized software platform. It's also a crypto like Bitcoin, but its blockchain also supports NFTs. Most people call the token used by Ethereum network Ether. So how does this Ethereum really work? So every Ether comes with a public key and a private key. Huh? Uh, so think of it as a public key is like your email address. You can give it out to everyone. You can share that. Well, yes, you, you can share that. With because, other people, not yeah. like the actual account. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you just you share it like an email in, in case you want someone to contact you or send something to you. Uh, but it also comes with the private key, and that's a long string of numbers and letters. It's Think of it more as like your passcode or password. Right. That you don't, you don't share. Don't give that out to anyone, please. Uh, if you lose your private key, you actually lose your Ether forever. There is no password resets in Ethereum. That's a that's really like, important point. That's like that uh, that guy that was in the news like months and months ago that lost his password. Who he was yeah. like he kept forgetting it, and he only had like one more try, and then he would lose all his Bitcoin forever. Yeah, that's 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 really it's similar, bad news. Obviously, it was Bitcoin, right? I it's think. it was it was. It's the same concept though. You can never lose that private key. You shouldn't lose the public key either, but definitely never lose your private key because there's no way to reset it on this network. Um, another cryptocurrency that's also made waves is Dogecoin. Oh yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the one you may recognize because it has the image of the Shibu Inu on it. They, and <laughs> yeah. It has its avatar. Isn't Dogecoin an accepted payment for some pretty major companies such as the Dallas Mavericks and most notably SpaceX? It is. I wonder, what do you pay SpaceX for? <laughs> like to go on to the go shuttle? On. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I was thinking. <laughs> Originally, it was created as a somewhat joke or like a meme coin based on the crazy speculations of the crypto market. You also should really have a sort of virtual wallet to store all your keys so that you don't lose them. The best way to actually start that is to make an account via the Coinbase app. That's That was that Super Bowl commercial. Oh, so okay. that's a good place. That's where you can store all your keys, your public and certainly your private keys. Uh, the value of, of Ethereum, by the way, is set by the market like every other currency. So it's all based on demand and supply and daily fluctuations, just like any other currency. What makes this interesting is that this Web3 movement has definitely been helped by NFTs, which are bought and sold with cryptocurrency. NFTs. NFTs are non-fungible tokens, and they store information that enables the deployment of smart contracts and 
are used to build and run without interference of a third party or censorship. It actually wasn't created to be digital money. So what's interesting is at its origin, Ethereum was actually first intended to complement Bitcoin, not compete with it. Its potential is actually only limited by its developers' imaginations. Uh, the apps are actually built using, like you said, smart contracts. So it's almost like an automated attorney. Right. That's, that's how they know they get paid. And they don't require a bank or a middleman for the transaction. And they also enable NFTs. So NFTs are like physical collectible items, but only they are the digital form. Instead of buying a piece of art, for example, that you can hang on your wall, you're buying a digital file. Uh, you get the exclusive rights to that file, and there's only one owner at a time. Ah, so like I said, non-fungible tokens, as that is what is a digital file. And some things that are fungible are like commodities, common shares, dollar bills. It's something that is mutually interchangeable or swappable. For example, a Bitcoin is fungible. You can trade one for another and you'll get the exact same thing back. But a one-of-a-kind football card is non-fungible. If you trade it for a different card, you'd have something totally different. Most popular right now is using NFTs to sell and buy art. It's been all over media that recently an artist known as Beeple sold the digital art as an NFT for over $69 million at wow. Christie's auction house. It's pretty nutty that the founder of Twitter also sold one of his original tweets for around $3 million. It's amazing that that's also an NFT. <laughs> I know. Crypto art is one of a kind, but can it be replicated? The crazy part is that technically it's not the art that isn't replicable. It's the NFT or non-fungible token that's linked to the art. Ah, okay. And that is the unique ID number assigned to that art. That number is checked against a database updated and shared across a network of computers also known as blockchain. To break this down even better, can you give a brief explanation of what a blockchain actually is? Sure. So think of a blockchain as a digital ledger. It's a decentralized digital record of transactions. It makes it basically impossible to duplicate or cheat the system. Blocks have certain storage capacities. Mm -hmm. When they get filled up, they're timestamped, closed, and then linked to the previous block, forming essentially what is a chain, or ah. in this case, a blockchain. For example, Bitcoin uses this blockchain tech, right? So the blocks contain the sender, the receiver, the number of Bitcoins transferred. That's right. When a transaction occurs, whether you're buying or selling, the data is timestamped, and then it has to be validated across the entire blockchain. And since the blockchain contains a history of every transaction ever made with that specific NFT, there's no way to cheat the system. Right. Uh, there's no central administrator of this. So that means that every computer must agree. And again, every computer is an individual computer by an individual person. Uh, they have to all agree that that was part of the original log for that specific transaction. So technically, anyone can see your art and it can be copied, but that specific piece of art is owned by you and has a unique ID number. So just like owning a Picasso replica or a real one hanging in a museum, 
Anyone could download the image and store it in their computer or phone, but only the owner can sell it, right? So any every time yep. the NFT is resold, the creator also now can make a profit, which does not exist in the physical art world. Which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I have to mention because I think it would surprise you, especially now that you're all into that show, Paris with Love. <laughs> oh, yes. I Paris love it. Hilton, heiress, reality star, and fellow blonde has become a significant player in the NFT world. As a large collector, she owns more than 150 NFTs, investing in NFTs since 2016. And it's actually neat because you say, some, you know, not like something you could hang on your wall, but they actually now create frames that you can display your digital art, which she has displayed all around her mansion. That's amazing. She's so forward thinking. So progressive. It is actually changing the art world and how artists are making a living. I mean, artists now will get a percentage every time the NFT is sold or changes hands. So unlike the physical art world where artists only get paid once on the first sale, it seems like this is just the beginning. Yeah, this is really changing the way art is bought, sold, or owned from an ownership perspective. And, and I don't think that's ever happened for the whatever thousands of years that people have traded art. Another major player in the NFT world who recently revealed himself is da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Does that give you a hint? Snoop you know, Dogg? The, as a, yes! <laughs> it's the DLG, Mr. Snoop Dogg. He actually is converting Death Row Records into the first NFT music label. That's amazing. I was reading that Nike has also actually patented a blockchain-based compatible sneaker platform using nfts ah. and they call it crypto kicks. crypto kicks i love that name it's a way to verify sneakers authenticity so when you buy a pair of shoes you also receive a digital asset that's linked to the consumer and assigned a cryptographic token cool yeah so the digital shoe and token represent a crypto kick if you're an owner of a crypto kick shoe you can actually control and set the limits on the number of clones or copies that can be produced. Wow. So that's actually pretty interesting. You can also breed or create <laughs> a new type of digital sneaker. It's actually an awesome way to prevent counterfeiting. The buyer can use the token to prove that the shoe is an original and that they are the rightful owner. Yeah, that's cool. For all our sneakerhead friends that we know. For, for sure. What makes this cool and unique is something that I first wondered about myself that it's all decentralized. Like, how do you know it will run smoothly and everyone will agree on the contents of the so-called ledger? So it's the power of the masses, if you want to think of it that way, because you're not relying on one ledger, but you're relying on everyone's ledgers uh, matching up. So that's the whole concept of a decentralized system versus having just one ledger. Another cool example of NFTs making waves is in music. Oh. Actually, the Kings of Leon, that I know you love, yep. will be the first band to release an album as an NFT. That's awesome. The band's going to release the album the good old-fashioned way on uh -huh. Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, but the NFT version will come with special perks, like a moving album cover, wow. and enhanced media. After its release date and time, no more will be made, and the NFT 
will actually become a tradable collectible. That's really cool. I actually love this. They're also using Yellowheart, which uses the blockchain tech to bring value back to music as they are making 18 unique looking golden tickets, <laughs> each one unlocking an actual ticket marking the first time a music ticket has been officially sold as an NFT. The owners of that NFT are guaranteed four front row tickets to any Kings of Leon concert during each tour for life. This sounds to me like Willy Wonka <laughs> and the Chocolate Factory. The They're selling the golden ticket. I love it. A bunch of other cool perks were like VIP treatment, hanging with the band, merch, a driver. It's incredibly cool that this company also says every time the NFT is resold, a percentage of the money could go back to the band or possibly a charity. In these situations, a resale price is set, so it takes away the possibility of scalpers. <laughs> unlike in your day, Max, you'd have to go to Tower Records. Oh, yeah. Maybe for me, <laughs> it was like Record World. Oh, I miss Tower Records. But this will revolutionize the music industry. I mean, the band earned, if you could imagine, $2 million in two weeks of NFT sales. To put that in perspective, one song on their album would need about 400 million streams on Spotify to earn that much money. And that's if they had full ownership of their recording. Wow, that's amazing. That really shows you the value that you can get out of releasing something as an NFT. It seems like there's a lot of money at stake here. So I was wondering, why would you trust that this is secure? I mean, what is monitoring everything that's going on? Well, there's two basic systems to make sure that all these transactions are secure, uh, both used by cryptocurrencies, any cryptocurrency for that matter. One is called proof of work, and it's an algorithm in which so-called miners <laughs> run hashing software on their computers, basically solving extremely complex computational math problems. Miners, like exactly what you described, not people that are digging tunnels underground. Digital miners. Right. Yes, exactly. So not anybody climbing down a ladder here. This is a different kind of miner. The way it works is the first computer to find the solution to this really complicated question receives um, the next block of Bitcoins. And the process then begins again and again. So you've got all these computers basically competing to be the first to solve the problem. And the one that solves the problem, the miner that solves the problem, gets rewarded for their work, their contribution into the blockchain with Bitcoin. That's essentially how the concept of proof of work comes into play. So proof of work allows transactions to be confirmed and recorded without a central authority. What is proof of stake? And is it different? So proof of stake is similar to proof of work as a way to validate crypto transactions. Uh, but unlike proof of work, owners of crypto have to actually put in their own coin. So they're like more invested. They have to have skin in the game, exactly. It's more of a competitive validation method. Not as secure, or I don't think it's as secure as proof of work, but it consumes much less energy. Yeah, I mean, that's a major drawback to mining is the insane amount of energy required. It's a lot of electricity being used and burning fossil fuels to provide it with millions of computers working towards the same problem at the same time, and only the first person to get the puzzle gets rewarded, it's an enormous waste of energy. Bitcoin is said to have a carbon footprint close to the size of a small country. That's a lot. 
That's a lot of computers competing right? for Bitcoin. So that's why proof of stake would have less people competing would seem like it would be a better way to go. Definitely more efficient. This has even led to Tesla not accepting Bitcoin anymore. Elon Musk actually tweeted that they were very concerned about the rapid increase in use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining and transactions, especially coal. Elon said that cryptocurrencies is a good idea on many levels and he believes in its promising future, but it cannot come at the cost of the environment. I have some cool crypto slang. If you want to sound cool, you know, with your hip younger friends at Max. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I, I need Do you that. know what a crypto whale is? Uh, no, a I guess someone is... has a lot of money. Maybe. Oh, yeah. A whale is someone who holds a lot of stored value in crypto, over a million worth of crypto in their wallets. Snoop, Mr. D-O-double-G, is now <laughs> considered a crypto whale in NFTs. Hoddle. Have you ever heard anyone say hodl? No, I haven't heard of it. It actually started as an incorrect spelling of hold. When prices are volatile, it just means hold on for your life. Hodl, <laughs> hodl in your Bitcoin, bro. That's actually very usable. That's a very usable mistake. And sats, sats, which are short for satashis. I thought it was the SATs for a second. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> are fractions of a Bitcoin. Think of pennies to a dollar. Oh, that's interesting. Always interested in how tech can influence the healthcare field. And I think it's super cool to think of the ideas of using NFTs in the medical field. Imagine having true control and ownership of your own personal health data. I mean, that would be huge. Think of just the possibility to fight against counterfeit pharmaceuticals by being able to authenticate the process, providing a digital footprint or token ID using blockchain. In blood donation tracking, Imagine if we were able to register in a digital blood bank. Specific blood types could be traced and distributed where it is needed the most. That would be amazing. I mean, getting blood test results without data going to any third-party source. Yeah, that's a real game changer. That's cool. I thought it'd be a great idea to bring an outside perspective on NFTs, especially when it comes to gaming. So we invited <laughs> our subject matter expert, our in-house specialist, for gaming, our 14-year-old, EJ. Oh, yeah. Welcome, yeah. EJ. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. This is your debut. Oh, yeah. It is my debut. <laughs> While Web3 may not be fully implemented now or for a while, a cool thing is the amazing potential in the area of gaming, and we know you love that. Oh, yeah. You know I love gaming. So what, like do you think, what do you think about NFTs and gaming? In gaming. Well, it, you know, it would be really cool to like own something that it's only mine. Like I'm the only one that has it and has the ability to own it for it just to be mine. Like a Jamar Chase, who is a wide receiver for the Bengals. <laughs> Which we all saw in the Super Bowl. Yep. That's right. He, he's really good. But like if I could have that just for my own and it would be like something that was like a one of one that personalized to me. You know what I mean? Also, like upgrades in the game or weapons. Yeah. You know, you and your brother, sometimes you play that other game where you have to get certain skins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet you would enjoy having like your own skin. Yeah. that It would be really cool because then it's like yours. Plus, you could use it across all games. So you'd own it almost like yeah. a bank account, right? Yeah. I didn't For skins think about that. Yeah. and weapons. 
Yeah, around all like games, like I could use like something like in this, like in Madden, and use it in like another game, like like Fortnite or like Warzone, any of those games. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah, that's the. I think that's the whole concept of NFTs. Is like you have a bank account of stuff, of mm -hmm. like skins and weapons and collectible cards, like what you said, like um, like football players or anyone else. It's yours. It's yours to own. Yeah, that's really Especially cool. Especially if there's an unlimited amount, it makes it even more valuable, right? Yeah, it would. Does that does that exist in the games today? Unlimited. There's like difference in prices on some cards that are like better, but I don't know. You can't put a price on a one of one or something like that. So I think it's a pretty cool idea. I think it's a little concerning that there's a possibility of imbalance in the games with unlimited editions being expensive. Who's to say that one person who could afford that would maybe then sell it to another person who could afford that, which wouldn't really be everyone playing the game. And then it could just they could just win every game. Right. Like, wouldn't that be like a little unfair? Actually, I don't know if you know this, but the Steam company, which is already a gaming platform, has banned NFTs. Yeah, they have. They have banned them and they are not letting them being used when they come out. But what you were saying before with having like all the best or all, like you said, like the best cards and winning. Right. It's, it's, you could think of it like that, but I feel like that's also part of the game because you want to level up. You want to like keep getting better and better and getting better cards and doing better in the game. So then eventually you could have that best team. Right. But if everyone that's winning is winning because they could afford something that other people possibly can't, doesn't that just make it not really fun to play? Yeah. I guess that kind of would ruin the game. And I, guess, <laughs> I guess that that's what they'll probably end up separating is the difference between paying to win or paying for better weapons or something that gives you an unfair advantage versus like a collectible card, which is something that's more of a long-term asset, that NFT, uh, not, not just a way to win every game. Very cool. I love your perspective, EJ. Thank you. I, I like it too. Thank you very much. <laughs> so are cryptocurrencies and blockchain tech a good idea? It seems that although it's still evolving, uh, it is the future and we really need to embrace it. Uh, it seems like the idea of regulation is big. Yeah. Obviously, the IRS uh, has obvious interest in making sure people know how to report their virtual currency. That's interesting. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if that has happened yet. Do you think we'll really? It it absolutely. Report? In fact, I've seen a bunch of uh, commercials for doing your taxes, and you know the the company saying that they specialize in cryptocurrency as well. Oh. So they can help you with that. The problem with cryptocurrency is it's global. So how do you really regulate that globally? Yeah. Uh, overall, I think most experts do agree that regulation is a good thing. It would definitely provide security and trust in the market. And with global corporations getting involved in, in the crypto market like Amazon and Walmart, it can really change the landscape for retail. With blockchain tech, the fear is that there is no anonymity. And if no one can be blocked, how do you prevent the spread of misinformation or hate speech, for example? which if you go on Twitter or anywhere else, yeah. you know it's there. People have an opinion. And we and know that they block people. They, they do. Uh, but that would be more difficult in this type of environment. I know that our current administration is working um, on this and how to somehow 
regulated. All right. Well, that brings us to game time. Woohoo! I love game time. <laughs> if you watch Cash Cab, which is my favorite, oh yeah, you we know that it. there is a red light challenge, and at the red light, for as long as that light is red, you get to answer your question with as many answers as possible to gain as many points. So just for this game, I'm going to set a timer for 30 seconds. And in honor of our whole cryptocurrency topic, I want you to list as many currencies in the world that you could think of that are not crypto. Oh, wow. Okay. Can okay. EJ These help are me? Centralized yeah, of course I can help you. Help These you. are centralized currencies. All right. There are a total of 164 official national currencies. So... You got some options. Are you ready? Are you ready, EJ? Let's get ready for the red light challenge. Okay. Ready? Go. U.S. dollar. U.S. dollar. Canadian dollar. Euro. Yeah. Mexican peso. Pound. Argentinian peso. Come on. Uh, Russian ruble. Uh, Swiss franc. What else? Israeli. Israeli. The shekel. The shekel. (laughs) Israeli shekel. We got 10. Nine. Japanese yen, right? Yeah. Yes, the yen. Japanese yen. Oh, done. (laughs) You could have said the South African rand, the Korean won, the Swedish krona, the Indian rupee. Did you say that? No. The Kenya shilling, turkey lira. Did I say that? (laughs) The, the Ethiopian burr, the UAE. I didn't know that one for sure. Dirham. <laughs> yep, didn't know that one. It's that was right. educational, I have to say. Yeah. So what do you think? Should we invest? Maybe we should consider buying an NFT. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm in it. Yeah, well, I'm all for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, E. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Fun. We'll see you next time. I hope so. (laughs) Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening today. Please continue to listen and subscribe. You could always find us on Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. You could find us on Instagram at Techie and the Blonde or ask us any questions or suggest topics we should discuss at techieandtheblonde at gmail.com. And our new and exciting website has launched techieandtheblonde.com. You can find tons of content, pictures, everything discussed on the episodes. Thanks again. (laughs) 